Live from Utrecht, this is Bitcoin. Explained. Sure, we're going to lean into some Twitter controversy today. Exactly. We have to jump on the bandwagon and make sure that, you know, we talk about what other people talk about. Love it. Yeah, actually, I got this request from a colleague, colleague of mine, Brendan Green. And since I am his humble servant, I had no other choice but to make an episode about this topic, which is inscriptions and maybe also ordinals to some extent. But yeah, as you mentioned, everyone's talking about it now, which kind of, I think for both of us was more of a demotivating factor because everything that's, that can be said about it has been said by now, maybe. But we're going to try to uh, at least explain what it is, I guess. Sure. Yeah, and this may be nice for our listeners who have not caught up on it. Okay, and but first, first of all, sure, you want to read some boosts. Some boostograms. And if you don't know what that is, Google it. First one is nice and short. From at Vake. 2,500 sats. Second best podcast ever behind the Van Weerdom Shores NATO. Love the Van Weerdom Shores NATO. Excellent. And the other one from Mr. Mister, 5,674 sats. Excellent topic and explanations. As for topics for the future show, I have some, I need some technical explanation. Perhaps you could be of assistance because I thought I knew how my lightning channel closed, but my node died and Blue Wallet sees the on-chain stuff. Yay. And I contacted the other node operator and they closed the channel out. Yay but my share of closing lightning balance didn't go on chain. Thanks. Is this a, is this a question that you just... Well, I think his question is to please explain how lightning works to the point that I can fix, I get my money back. But basically this reminds me of something that happened to me a few years ago, which is I had an LND node and a C lightning node and I had a channel between them. And then I nuked my LND node and I lost the money that was in the channel. But after only two days of puzzling and going to hackathons and talking to Christian Decker and Rosebeef and writing some custom tools, I was able to get my 100 euros back. But nice. the, the exact way to do that is, is quite hard and depends on which pieces of software you're using. In this case, I wouldn't know. Sorry for uh, your loss, Mr. Mister. In general, our lightning expertise is not that. There are some episodes where we struggle to explain certain aspects of lightning. I think we did publish them. I mean, we, we've also had lightning guests on, right? I, I, guess, True. I think that's sort of what we like to do. If we do a lightning episode, we'll get someone on board that actually knows more about lightning than we do. Yeah, but there's a, basically, as a, as a general rule, if you have a lightning wallet and your funds are already on chain, those funds should be fine if you have to recover from a backup. But anything that's in a channel requires some sophistication to correctly backup and may be hard or impossible to recover. Okay, sure, back to inscriptions. The topic du jour, the, the, the new war on Bitcoin. Yes, The basically. controversy is brewing and we're going to lean into it with everything we have. Sure, inscriptions. Okay, first, before we actually get to inscriptions, I do want to mention a lot of this ties in with up return and we made an episode episode on up return on the up return wars as it was referred to which mm -hmm. was episode 61 mm -hmm. and we'll recap some of that here but maybe not all of it so if you really don't know and now i'm addressing you my dear listener our dear listener if you don't know what up return is then you might want to go back to episode 61 first to 
sort of get an idea of what the history there is. That said, we will recap it real quick. Yes, sure. So I'll just leave this to you. Up return. What, what what do we need to know before we get to inscriptions? Yeah. So up return was a solution to a problem, and the problem was that well, the problem wasn't so much that people were putting stuff on the blockchain that wasn't money. They were putting pictures, etc., on the blockchain. That wasn't necessarily the problem, but the problem was in how they were doing it. They were using weird mechanisms. Well, 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 I'll stop you right there. That that's debatable, right? Like some people will say that will that's in itself a problem. Yeah, some people would, but there is a bigger problem, and that was in the way they were doing it, and the way they were doing it was causing the so-called UTXO set to grow a lot, and the UTXO set is basically the set of coins that exist in the world, and that could be spent by somebody at any time. Like you don't know when it's going to be spent. So you tend to keep it in RAM so that whenever a new block comes in, you can very quickly check whether the new block is spending coins that actually exist or, or not. And the problem with the way they were putting data on the blockchain is they were basically making it look like there were real coins out there that could be spent with public keys and all, but they were really they could never be spent because the the way the, the, the there was no private key because of the the way the images were encoded. And so Opportune was a sort of a mitigation of that by saying, okay, please use this mechanism called Opportune, and we'll explain how that works, so that we no, don't I, have this I problem with RAM. I don't think we will. People will have to go back to episode 61, sure. All right, fine. We won't explain it. Or we might get back to it. Yeah, anyway, so people could use Opportune. They could put up to 80 bytes on the blockchain this way, in a way that doesn't waste people's RAM. still takes space in the blockchain, but it doesn't waste people's RAM, and RAM is much more precious. Yeah, so the even shorter version is people were using Bitcoin for other reasons than transacting, transacting money. They were uploading images on the blockchain or whatever. And then developers said, all right, look, if you're going to do that anyways, then please do it in this way because that reduces the cost for everyone else. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the super short version, right? But then developers also said, please don't do too much data at once. So they set a limit of 80 kilobytes, essentially, right? 80 bytes. 80 bytes. Per transaction, which means in practice, you you know, in order to do a lot of data, you need not just to have this 80 bytes, but you need to make a whole transaction, which has a bunch of overhead on top of the 80, for every 80 bytes that you're trying to publish. Right. So developers said, all right, if you're going to upload data on the blockchain, please use this. But then they did put a limit on the amount of data that you could upload. Yeah, and if That's, I remember correctly, that limit was basically mm -hmm. such that it was slightly more attractive to use Opportune than to use the bad methods that we used before, but not unnecessarily attractive. Right. Okay, I think that sort of the context that you need for, for the rest of this episode to get mm -hmm. into inscriptions. I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so inscriptions then... I guess my one sentence summary would be inscriptions are a way to do the same thing, to do kind of what Opportune does, but without the limit. Is that a fair one sentence summary? Uh, well, it has a 400 Some, kilobyte limit. Someone found a way around the limit uh, that someone is Casey Rodamore. Yeah, yeah. So instead of an 80 byte limit, he found a way to have a 400 kilobyte limit and to get a 4x discount on fees. And in fact, probably a bigger discount in fees because the overhead of the transaction itself would be lower if you're doing very large pieces of text or image. Okay, so then the one sentence summary is 
someone found a way to do something very similar to up return but with a much bigger limit and with a cheaper at least cheaper per byte fee wise yeah that's a very ugly sentence but i still think that counts as one sentence whatever <laughs> okay so that's what it does and and then there was this other thing i forget what it was called and we're, we're not going to talk about that too much in this episode so the ordinals yeah right so, so it's, ordinals it's part of the ordinals system which is something completely different kind of a way to do nfts on the on the bitcoin blockchain i guess but yes. and and part of that could be that you want to upload the picture of your nft right onto the bitcoin blockchain that's that's one use case but this mechanism well that's still inscriptions right like the uploading the actual picture exactly that, that would be the inscription and then the ordinal that would be kind of like a colored coin essentially that mm -hmm. refers to the inscription so then you can quote unquote own the inscription in the same way that you can quote unquote own an nft yeah pretty much with, but it, it doesn't really matter because the way that you put data on the chain is the same like could be used for other things yeah right so so that's what inscriptions are inscriptions are uploading data into the bitcoin blockchain and that's probably it seems like that's sort of what most of the controversy like the the twitter shitstorm is about and that's also what we're gonna address mostly in this episode i don't mm -hmm. think we're gonna get into ordinals too much although we may well we've already mentioned it so so sure what are how does it work what what how did casey get around this limit the, this op return limit well what's the yeah, so basically the way Opportune works is you're you're creating an output, basically. And when you create an output, you, you basically have to tell the nodes or the blockchain what way this output can be spent. And that's fine. You, you basically say op return and then followed by a bunch of gibberish. Doesn't matter what it is because as soon as the blockchain is reading op return, it stops, it says, okay, it's valid. And in fact, I'm going to forget it because it is unspendable. That's why it's a nice mechanism. And because it's an output, you're not getting any SegWit discount. You're paying the normal price. If you want to get into weight units, four weight units per byte of data. But don't worry about weight units, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and maybe you're also sort of skipping ahead, which makes it more confusing. Anyways, I, I guess just carry on. So that you just explained how up return works, which is also explained in depth in episode 61. Exactly. But now so my we're not... question is about inscriptions. Exactly. And these are not using outputs, they're using inputs. And an input, basically, the goal of an input is to say, okay, here's an output. You just point to a transaction hash and, and an index in the transaction. And here is the piece of script, the witness, that you need to spend that output. Now this witness gets a 4x discount. And so what this, this new scheme does is it basically puts all the opportune-like data in the witness instead of in the output. And now we can get into the way it puts it into the witness. doesn't really matter. But uh, the idea is you need to eventually, when you're spending your own coins, you need to provide a signature. But you don't have to do that right away. You can do a bunch of nonsense and then provide a signature. Or you can provide a signature and then continue the script, do a bunch of nonsense, and then return. And that's basically what you're doing. So either before or after you provide your signature, you write on the blockchain op false. And what that does is it, well, we talked about Bitcoin scripts all the way, I think, in episode two, but it basically puts something on the stack called false, 
Now, a stack is like a pile of plates. So you have a pile of plates, which is exactly one high. The word false is on that plate. And then there's the, the next code is called op if. And this op if statement looks at what's the top plate. Well, false. And then it says, okay, I'm going to skip until either I see an else or I see an end if. And so there is an end if in this particular script. And it turns out that between this if statement and the end if statement is where you have all this data that you're trying to upload into the blockchain. And as we just described, the op if statement means that we're not executing all that data, we're just skipping past it. So yeah. you're able to do whatever you want because it's not evaluated. Okay, that was a very technical explanation and I'm gonna try to dumb it down a bit. And mm -hmm. then if I dumb it down so much that it becomes inaccurate, you, you should stop me. Yo, what is going on guys? We are proud to have Voltage as a sponsor of this episode. How many of you developers out there have wanted a streamlined infrastructure provider for your particular project? Well, I'll tell you what, Voltage is the Bitcoin infrastructure provider you have been looking for that makes building on Bitcoin quick and easy, whether it's Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, BTC pay, and so much more. But don't take it from me. Just ask the guys over at Amboss, Sphinx, Podcast Index, and Thunder Games, and so many others that you guys already know and love. Their enterprise-grade products make it fast and easy to build, deploy, and scale your next project. So make it easy on yourself. Even normie plebs can use the dashboard or API. Don't wait before the next block confirmation. Let your team focus on building great products and let Voltage handle all the rest. Voltage is your go-to zero management Bitcoin infrastructure solution. So I, I, I think I would sort of explain it in that, you know, a transaction includes different kinds of data. So most notably it includes data that says coins are being spent from here and then other piece of data says it's being spent to here, mm -hmm. but then to prove that the rightful owner is spending it, a signature needs to be added and the signature is included in yet another part of the transaction, which we call the witness. Yes. And this witness part of the transaction can also include other data. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're putting this data. So we're putting this data, this, this, these images or whatever, whatever it is we're uploading, we're putting it in the witness in a way that it, it's kind of irrelevant for the transaction, but it's still there. Right. Yes. I, I, mm -hmm. That's kind of the summary, right? Yeah. The witness is providing the signature and it's doing a bunch of blah, blah, blah that is completely ignored. Right. So if my Bitcoin node sees one of these transactions, as it has by now, because these transactions now exist, mm -hmm. they just see basically a valid transaction and then they see a bunch, my node sees a bunch of data in the witness, but it just figures that data is completely irrelevant yeah, because it's between I'm, an if and an end if statement. And I'm not so. even going to remember it because my yes. node is a prune node. So it, it it forgets blocks older than a couple of days. And it's also not in my UTXO set. So my node after a couple of days, it doesn't even remember that yeah. it was there. So if you have a full archival but, node, so one that keeps all the history, you will remember all this stuff and you have to download it once. But if you have a prune node, yeah, you're going to toss it as you would with OpReturn, by the way. There's no difference there. And it's not using up any of your RAM because RAM is only consumed when you create an output. And in this case, you're not creating an output, you're spending an output. So the second the output is spent, you can forget that output ever existed. 
and the witness never has to be in RAM anyway. Well, except the moment you're checking it. Right. So f for my note specifically, I think the only cost really was that I had to download it once and then maybe upload it to other... Uh, yeah, exactly. Peers, right? so that, that's sort of the cost for me, but that's sort of it, I think. Exactly. Okay, but then if you run like a special Bitcoin node, like a inscriptions compatible... Yeah, it's not even a node. You just run a piece of software that talks to your node. And right. that is able to get the to get the inscriptions out of the blockchain. Yeah, so that software will see the same data, but it will say, "Hey, I know what that means. That means." Yeah, and so that software is, a, this is, is an looking... image, or this is whatever, and then th then it is able to subtract an image from the blockchain. Yeah, so that right that script will basically ask probably ask for every transaction in the blockchain one by one, and then it will inspect the transaction and and look for a certain pattern. And I guess in this case would be looking for an opcode called push followed by the data ord or something like that. And then it processes whatever comes after that as a, as a file. Right. Okay. So which, which, you know, these kind of tools have existed before for image upload using upreturn and using all these other mechanisms. There were also scripts that would basically work in the same way. In fact, in my book, now that I'm shilling that, there's an appendix. I think it's appendix C, which contains the Bitcoin white paper, but it also contains instructions of how you can get the Bitcoin white paper PDF out of the Bitcoin blockchain with just one very complicated command. Right. Okay, so I think we've now explained... So the, so OpReturn had this limit of how much data you can upload. Mm -hmm. So I think we've now explained how Casey essentially got around this limit to otherwise accomplish something very similar. Yeah, though you might wonder but, why there's no such limit in the witness, right? There could have been. Sure, yeah. But there isn't. And in fact, with, with SegWit, there were some limits. Right. And with Taproot to the witness size, so it was still much bigger than what you could do with OpReturn. But with Taproot, these limits were lifted even more. And the main reason for that is to make it simpler to interpret a script. The things like Miniscript that we've talked about in earlier episodes, when you see a script, you want to reason about it, like what, what kind of properties does it have? Can I spend it? Like you might be part of a very complicated multisig and you want to make sure that, yes, I can provide one signature and if somebody else also provides a signature, it can be spent and the coins are not lost. And this type of analysis is easier when there are fewer limits in place. So there were good reasons to remove all these limits, but it does mean that you can make a 400 kilobyte image this way. So that's the new limit, 400 kilobytes? In practice, yes. And this has to do with standardness. So standardness means that this is what nodes will relay by default. So, But you can take your node and you can edit the software and change that particular limit so that you'll you'll gossip even transactions with a megabyte. Or four megabytes, or four, actually. right, yeah. Yeah. So the real limit is what can be mined if you contact the miner directly or you, you, know, you, you go... Peter Todd style, create an alternative client that does not care about this limit and promote this alternative client and then hope that miners will actually just, just look for it with a big enough bounty, then you can actually produce a full block, 400 megabyte block with just a giant movie or whatever it is inside of it. And I wonder who will be the first person to do that. I guess Burak. You could, yeah, so you could have, you could have a block that consists of one I guess almost four megabytes 
transaction that is actually like you said yeah you have to leave a little bit of space because you know something. the block has to have a header and has to have the coinbase transaction for the miner and your transaction itself has to have a bunch of overhead it has to probably send the money somewhere so don't make it exactly four megabytes for four million bytes a little bit less but yeah you can make it pretty big and right. okay but you could do the same with upper turn but then you can only make it one megabyte so in that sense, it's four times cheaper. So with Opportune, if you provided it directly to a miner, there's no limit. You can make, as far as I know, a one megabyte or slightly less Opportune transaction. But for the same cost, you can make a four megabyte inscription. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question or the next point I was going to bring up. Uh, so we've explained how to get around the Opportune limit, if, so to say. And then the other thing is that inscriptions make use of this SegWit discount. Mm -hmm. So we may have explained this in a previous episode. We probably have or maybe not. I'm not sure. But what, what does this actually mean? Can you explain what the SegWit discount is or why people call it that or what what, what is actually what, yeah. what are so, we talking about? So blocks, as far as old nodes are concerned, pre-segnet nodes are concerned, are one megabyte. And then the question was, how can we, well, Two things were achieved with SegWit. One was to allow all these new features that SegWit allows, and we did an episode about that. But the other was, was also a block size increase. And the way to increase the block size is to, to put all this witness data in a special place that old nodes don't see. And so there's three megabytes worth of data in places that old nodes don't see. It's called the witness, or up to three megabytes that old nodes don't see. That, that's the witness data. Well, no, it can be up to four, right? The entire block can be up to four. Yeah, so I, yeah, I guess you're right. It, it, the witness data can be up to four, but then the, the main data has to be less because the total has to be less than four. The witness plus the non-witness data. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, in this case, that's very that's plausible, right? That's what we talked about, the yeah. one transaction. Yeah, so that's, that's where these weight units come in. If you're creating a transaction, a block has to be a maximum of four million weight units. And if you have, if you're using the non-witness part of a transaction, so the outputs, whatever, those each unit counts as uh, I believe four weight units. Yeah. So basically, if you if you don't use any witness data, your your block size is one million times four. So you you're you're back to one megabyte block for the old nodes. And if you use lots of witness data, then you can have a four megabyte block, which is what you would do here. Yeah. So the it was basically introduced as a way to get around the block size limit without requiring a hard fork. So to increase the yeah, block size and, you know, and block also, without requiring a hard fork. Exactly. And, and also as an incentive to use SegWit because SegWit is solving some other problems that are very expensive in terms of resources for the computer. So I guess it's it's a nice way to say, here, just use SegWit rather than not SegWit. Is that also directly UTXO set related? Isn't that the sort of main thing? Because whatever gets into the witness will not end up in the UTXO set. Am I saying that no, right? No, it does. I've the UTXO set contains... Well, no, the UTXO set doesn't contain any witness data. Exactly. That's true. But I don't think that's the reason. It has to do with like if transactions get very large, you have certain things that get quadratically more expensive to evaluate. And I think SegWit removed those limitations. Or, or like made it more efficient so that certain transactions when you use SegWit will be less bad on your CPU or for example or right yeah now I mean I definitely remember that it was at least one of the arguments or it was claimed that the, the 
the discount also better aligned incentives i guess I, i'm just a bit rusty of yeah it might also exactly. oh i think what you mean there is that it becomes cheaper to spend coins than to create coins so it Possibly. used to, it used to be i think it used to be the case that it was cheaper for you to create lots and lots of change and never really spend your original coins unless you were desperate never combine your coins and with Segwit, because it's much cheaper now to spend coins, you have some extra incentive to spend your coins. And by spending your coins, you're reducing the UTXO set size, which means you're reducing the amount of RAM used by other people. So in that sense, yes, it creates an incentive to start spending coins. Right. To start combining coins. Okay. Well, in any case, I think the point is that through the witness, blocks can be bigger. So there's a bit more block space. And then if a fee market develops, so if not all transactions fit into blocks, then transactions will have to outbid each other. Mm -hmm. And if you're using more of the part of the block that's less scarce, then miners are more inclined to include it because they can include more of them, right? That's how the incentives work. And that's why there's a quote unquote discount on using witness data. So mm -hmm. that's why using inscriptions is basically cheaper per byte than using op return. Yeah. Right? Am I saying it right? I think I'm saying it right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then I, I, I think we've now kind of explained what inscriptions are and how they work. And maybe we should get a little bit into why it is controversial or why are some people angry about this and or so yeah. Well, I'm I'm not a psychologist, but you could you could argue that Bitcoin's primary purpose is to make money basically as a censorship resistant system for money transfer. And if you start doing other things with it, that other use case might at some point push out the money use case. Now, hopefully, the fee structure that exists in Bitcoin is enough to make sure that the money use case is always going to be basically able to pay for itself and always outcompete any other system because it is hopefully in the long term insanely expensive to store data on the blockchain and you have to compete you know if you want to put your jpeg on the blockchain that's fine but you're competing with michael saylor that wants to spend a billion dollars and is probably able to pay a much higher fee on that so that's the hope but because this mechanism gives you a 4x discount compared to using up return you know these the the dynamics just change by a factor four essentially the same dynamics where you have a, a competing use case is now four times cheaper yeah, well, I think the first thing that that may be worth mentioning, and you and you mentioned it yourself in the up return episode, is that nodes don't get paid, right? If you're running a yep. node, and and so the idea is, or you know, this is one of the arguments. This is why it's controversial, at least in some parts of the Bitcoin world, is that if you're running a node, you're kind of agreeing to process transactions also the transactions of other people like that's kind of the you know the, the social contract or whatever you want to call it i think that term is very overused but you know that's sort of mm -hmm. what you're agreeing to do but you didn't agree to also process or transmit or you know store other rare stuff. peppers like you did so so then if people are start doing that that's kind of abusing the system in a way. That's kind of the argument. But it's at least abusing the the altruism of the nodes in the network that we're not interested in relaying uh, rare pepes. Now, you could say, right. well, you could just configure your node so it doesn't relay rare pepes. Unfortunately, that 
gets you into a cat and mouse. Well, it's two problems. It gets you into a cat and mouse game of how do you even detect what a rare peppy is. That might be more work than just relaying it, probably. Well, you also can't do that. I don't know why you say that. Like well, you, 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 you still have to accept the block, right? Yeah, the block's it's still yes, going to be in the block. But most of the bandwidth is for relaying transactions. So Okay, that's fair. But in the end, you still have to process it one way or the other. Yeah, that's true. What was your second point going to be? Well, so you end up with this cat and mouse game. You don't know who, what is what. The second point is, and that comes to relaying transactions. If you decide to not relay certain transactions, your mempool is not going to be accurate, which means that when a new block comes in, you won't have all the transactions in that block. You didn't have to download all these rare pepes in order to check the block, which means you are not propagating blocks very fast, which can create network splits if too many people do that. Right, yeah. Okay, so that's sort of the main argument against this. But I, I, like, as you mentioned or as you alluded to at least, you can't really do anything about it, right? Like this, it's no. From my my cursory look at the mailing list, uh, there's a reply by Andrew Polstra, the uh, cryptographer and then longtime Bitcoiner. I like that you're pronouncing his name in a very Dutch way. Yeah, in the correct mm -hmm. way. Basically. He says, like, as far as I know, there's no sane way of, of distinguishing one thing from the other. And if you add any complexity, you end up with a cat and mouse game. And also, it makes it more difficult to do complicated transactions that are legitimate because the reason to remove all these limits in Taproot was to make it easier to reason about transactions. And then you add a bunch of complicated anti bear pepe rules, you just throw away all these benefits. Yeah. Okay. So the other side of the equation the argument in favor of stuff like inscriptions is that bitcoin long term will need to survive somehow which means miners need to be be mining they need an incentive to mine and so because the subsidy the block subsidy is going to disappear we need actual fee pressure so it's good if people want to pay to use Bitcoin, even if it's for other reasons than sending money, just for the viability or the health of the system. That's sort of the other side of the argument, which mm -hmm. I personally think I find my, more compelling. I also want people to use Bitcoin for yeah, whatever I mean, and it, let's it does bring have up. the market figure it out. I'm leaning in that direction. I don't know where you are standing on this. I mean, on the one hand, that I would agree with that argument. On the other hand, whenever you use Bitcoin for things that it's not primarily designed for, the incentives change, and it's hard to reason what the game theory would be like under extreme circumstances. Like, okay, is there a different incentive for a 51% attack now if 99% of the volume is NFTs? But, you know, if we go into a low subsidy regime, that's uncharted territory anyway, with or without NFTs. So I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, I think the important thing to mention maybe as a sort of addendum to, to my point is that so uh, the way I think about it right now is like what what's protecting nodes from having to upload and store too much data is the block size limit. Like that's yeah. why the block size limit is there and why it should be there. And blocks and are already oh, two megabytes right now. And so even if this, this new thing becomes super familiar, popular, blocks might grow to four megabytes. So the, the problem only gets two times worse. And by only, I mean, it's not exponentially I mean, worse. Bad. Yeah, two times worse is bad, but it's, it's, uh, it's linear. Right. It doesn't get exponentially worse. It's not like a million times bad. It's just two times bad. 
So that's also why I'm not worried about it because any problem that is a problem now, like if if it gets twice as bad, it shouldn't be fatal unless we were already at a very fragile point where a 2x increase of some problem is, which is hopefully not the case. So I'm not super worried about it because it's quite limited in that sense. Yeah, and then it's sort of an extension of that is if a fee market develops what we want and what we sometimes have it kind of you know kind of comes and goes it seems like but there's some fee market-ish dynamics going on anyways if that continues to develop i i just can't imagine that uploading rare peppas is going to be like the most valuable thing that like i don't think right. that's going to win like can't, that you can't predict the future I, 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 that's right i but i can sort of speculate right so, and i just yeah can't and it, it is the very this is most be the thing that people will use probably not such a valuable system for it's it's you know it's the most inefficient way possible to upload a file right and it doesn't give you much more long-term protection than torrents so th there's another downside that i'm a little bit worried about which is more political than technical which is that if people start using this to upload bad things, let's just say, bad, bad, yeah, if bad things have already been uploaded to the blockchain in the past, but it was very incidental, so you can very easily argue like, well, that's just some weird guy doing something weird and, and it's not a real problem. But if it starts happening with gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes and the FBI gets really annoyed and it starts lobbying Congress, then this could be a stick that's used against having a full node yet another argument like, oh, well, you can use Bitcoin, but you have to use an exchange because if you use a full note, you know, you have all these bad things on your computer and we can't tell if you're you're just using Bitcoin or you're doing these bad things. And so, you know, it could be another little political push away from self-custody or even a FUD campaign away from self-custody. Right. Interesting. Yeah, that's... But I haven't only... thought about this argument, right. so I'm not going to... But that argument is but only four times as bad as it was before because you can already right. do these things with upreturn. Now you can do them four times cheaper. I don't think that's a game-changing fee difference. So it's only about whether this thing even becomes a hype because it might be that look, nobody cares about this possibility and nobody uses it. Right. Okay, so I've, we've explained what inscriptions are. I think, I mean, I'm sure there's you know more nuance to dive into if you're really inter interested in that but i think we've covered the main sort of reason why there's a controversy and the argument for and against should we really quickly before we end this episode mention the ordinal part of it or how that works or no no okay yes well i i can i'll give you a, like a one sentence explanation right okay. so i think the idea is when you upload an inscription so when you're uploading the data then i think one of the satoshis in that transaction is like the i mean it's so dumb nfts are so dumb shores i can't i have so much trouble have you okay wait, i should first explain the thing I, I i just don't understand why people still take this seriously okay let me ask you another question how much longer how after what time should i seriously like you what's your opinion on nfts maybe first of all like is this because i think it's absurd yeah i think nfts might make sense but the they don't need a blockchain well that so, that's why they're absurd like what are people what what are they doing i mean you, i i could imagine making it say you are an artist you can run a little website that you know sells tokens representing your art and you can keep track of who owns which token 
You don't really need a but blockchain you for don't, that. But you, even then, you don't own the art, right? You own what do you own? You own. Well, you can you can do that if 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 you are the artist, you can make this website and you can put a contract on that website that you know promises maybe through some sort of trust construction that the blockchain really is what legally happens. So you can say that. Okay, yeah, fair. You can do that. But, and you, but and even you that don't could need get a blockchain over, for that, right? You don't need a blockchain for that. So you can say whatever the database said is true. And the nice thing about that is that a judge could you know reverse transactions. Because with the blockchain, you might end up with a situation where the, you know, you let's say you have a trust that says, okay, whoever has this this NFT really is the legal owner of this of the IP of the artwork. And then some guy in North Korea steals the Bitcoin transaction or whatever transaction it is, and then a judge says, you know what? This trust may say that, but actually legally speaking, the US government is now the owner of this particular NFT. And so that means that now you need to look at the blockchain and all the court records to decide who owns which NFT, and you have a mess. Whereas if you have a normal database and a judge says something, then you just change the database. So, yeah, I, I think NFTs are rather pointless with the blockchain. I mean, yeah, let's take this concrete example be before we get into the weeds of all, all kinds of weird stuff. So now, you, you know, you're uploading you know, a Pepe image into the Bitcoin blockchain. And mm -hmm. then by doing that, there's now Satoshi that says you own the Pepe image. And then if I send the Satoshi to you, then you own the Pepe image. But the Pepe image is literally on the blockchain. Like that's the point. Anyone can download it. So what are we even... Well, I, if you're talking about ownership I, again... Shorts, am I taking crazy pills? Well, the rare Pepe is on the blockchain. How do you own it if you well, own it? What does it have to do with that? Ownership and possession are not the same thing. Right, so I can I can possess your bicycle, and you can go to the police and say, "Hey, this is my bicycle. I own this bicycle." And then the police will change the possession of the bicycle. Right. So the same goes for NFTs. If somebody draws a rare Pepe, then well, they are the artist; they own the copyright, and they can make a contract with you. Oh no! I mean, I get copyright. So, but then in that case, you would have to actually. So the fact that the image exists, this kind of stuff with copyright laws. Yes. Right, but then we're back to why do you need blockchain for that? You don't. I agree. Right. Okay. So anyways, I think we're not gonna get into ordinals anymore. the 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 idea of ordinals is you have a colored coin that actually refers to the inscription, and you can have fun with that if you're into that kind of stuff. Exactly. All right. I think uh, we've covered everything. If there's any other thing you may want to Google, Google max standard TX weight with underscores because that's the the real limit that applies here. And I'm looking forward to see the first four megabyte Bitcoin transaction with a picture of, I don't care, somebody. And thank you for listening to Bitcoin Explained. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Magazine time, y'all. Bitcoin is for everyone, lefties, righties, and the rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naib Bukele, Jeff Dice, Natalie Smolinski, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. 
Get your copy from the local Barnes & Noble bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.